and welcome to Women in Retail Talks, the podcast where C-suite executive women in the retail space share their stories of professional growth, leadership development, personal journeys, and more. I'm Marie Albajez, Senior Editor of Women in Retail, a membership-based community of executive women at leading retailers and brands. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Daniela Fleur, the president of Bandier, a women's high-end activewear brand with stores, an e-commerce presence, and a wholesale business. We're talking with Danielle today about her career journey, how she helps the brand stay relevant, and so much more. Danielle, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Marie. I'm a huge fan of women in retail. It was so nice to be able to connect with you at the summit in Phoenix back in April. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, We have coverage of that on our website of of you and the other ladies at Bandier giving a, a great discussion on stage at the summit in April. So thanks again for joining us for that. And I'm thrilled to have you here and we can dive a little bit deeper into your career. Excellent. Let's do it. Yeah. So I know that you've spent pretty much your entire career in retail, right? So I'd love for you to start with just kind of sharing your journey of of how you got started in the fashion industry and the retail industry and and how we got to your role at Bandier. Yeah, it's um, it was actually a pretty purposeful trajectory. Um, it started when I was a junior in high school. My father went to University of Massachusetts at Amherst, and he had an alumni newsletter, and it was about a buyer at, at Benetton and how she split her time between New York and Paris and just about the buying function and how it was financial and creative. And I pretty much after reading the article was like, this is exactly what I want to do. Um, so I went to University of Massachusetts at Amherst. I had a dual major between um, business and French. And I quite literally wanted to work for either a French brand in New York or an American brand in Paris. Um, ironically, if you if you look at my LinkedIn profile, I've worked at all the great American brands, or not all of them, but many. So starting my career at Ralph Lauren, J. Crew, Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger, and even Van Deer, which does sound French, is not actually French. So um, I did, you know, pretty much follow my path, except for the French part. So, um, you know, still working on that. And uh, I'm lucky enough with an exciting collab we have coming up that I'm able to travel to Paris and uh, at least use my French, even if it's not a French company. Yeah. So you've been doing all of that in the States Yep. In the States, however, um, you know, working for Calvin and Tommy, they're both global businesses. So I did have the opportunity to be able to travel and help to develop um, some of the underdeveloped um, business plans, uh, specifically in Japan and South America, um, and also spent quite a bit of time in uh, Amsterdam. Okay, so let's talk jobs or responsibilities at each of these. So obviously, you're not still a buyer. Um, so how did you kind of pivot from from one title to another? Yeah, so um, I would say that it was primarily my love of people unlocking their talents and unlocking business through the people um, that pivoted me from being truly just a merchant or a buyer um, into my current role as president. Um, you know, I really love to be able to look at an organization as a challenge and a puzzle. And how do you take every single person and really celebrate what's best about them and put together that that puzzle that's an organization that unlocks both the people and creates tenure and loyalty, but ultimately also leads to ROI and business success. 
Yeah, that's great. So let's talk about your most recent career pivot from Calvin Klein to Bandier. What brought that change on um, and what was that transition like for you? Yeah, so um, it, it's interesting because this kind of ties into the, to the past topic a little bit. Um, you know, I became a functional expert as it came to merchandising and buying um, and throughout. So Calvin Klein is owned by PVH that also owns Tommy Hilfiger. So my tenure with PVH was 18 years. I started at Calvin when we launched the retail stores. I moved to Tommy for about 12 years. Um, was really, really grateful that I was able to reinvent myself almost every year there in terms of understanding different channels of business, um, the global aspect, which I touched upon, um, was also able to um, understand the design function and lead the design function, multiple categories of business. It was just an incredible time in my career to be able to reinvent myself. And then I came back to Calvin and kind of came home and wanted to really um, continue the work that I had started initially. Um, over time, I realized that as I became very seasoned in my function and where I was able to pick up adjacent functions like design and like visual merchandising, that I still had a quest to learn and grow and um, felt that after 18 really rich years with PVH, I needed something that was going to allow me to lean into, you know, my passion to unlock business and people, um, but with other functionalities underneath. So it was really looking for more of a startup, something that I could really be hands-on with, um, but also learn different aspects of the business. And that's how the pivot started. How do you know when, when it's the right time to move, to, to move, to have a change, that sort of thing? I mean, you said, you know, it's almost like you had, you had learned all you could at that point in that particular area of expertise. So how do you know when to look for those other opportunities? How do you know when it's the right time to expand upon the functions that you're able to do? Yeah. So uh, for me in this specific um, circumstance, it was really about um, solving problems drives me and challenges drive me. Um, so as I was feeling that there wasn't um, enough to light up different parts of my brain, that's where I think of it is almost like a heat map within my brain. And I'm constantly, I found myself constantly just using the people advocate piece of my brain and more of the functionality was almost by second nature. And that's when I realized that I wasn't really challenging myself and by becoming a bit stagnant. Um, I actually wasn't energizing the people around me in the way that I used to. Um, and that's definitely something that I find to be as a part of my brand is when I come to something and I feel alive, people around me feel that energy. Um, so that was, that was the signal for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, being able to recognize when you are stagnant and when, when it is time for that move and having other people around you notice that energy. I mean, that's, that's crucial, I think for any, any yeah. kind of pivot or change. So when did you, remind me when you joined Bandier? So I joined Bandier in December. So okay. I'm just about on my six month anniversary. Okay. Um, although I'll tell you, it's been such a different world and I've really um, been able to look at the business from different angles that it, it feels like I've been here much longer, but in a really good way. Yeah. So how do you enter a company like Bandier and how do you spend your first 90 days there? What's that look like? 
Oh, that's a great question because I had a very detailed strategic plan. Um, I have a dear friend who was a was a career coach at one point in time um, when I was at PVH, who now is uh, is really just a, a you know a personal counselor, I guess. And uh, he and I spent a lot of time talking about my introduction to the company, my introduction to the teams, and how I could strategically be on a journey to listen and learn. And wow, was I surprised when I started. My first day was a full day strategy session of every single function. Um, I was really impressed by the strategies that were put forward for such a a lean and young team. Um, But I immediately realized that there was so much I could be doing. And I had to I had to pivot and change my 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 integration plan completely um, because I intended to be much more hands off and you know really uh, assess before making change and people were begging for change uh, people were really saying like I need help with this I need a boss I'm in the wrong function um, and so humble and transparent and hungry and I was inspired so I just jumped right in. Um, and just can't say enough about the team at Bandera. They're very, very inspiring. So they were really just waiting on a leader like you to come in and, and make those decisions that they had been asking for, it sounds like. I mean, I, I don't know if I can say they were waiting on a leader like me, but I can say that there was something about me that resonated with um, them feeling comfortable and vulnerable to be able to say, this is what I need to really succeed. Um, and, you know, with a startup business and we're scaling now, um, a, a bit beyond the startup size, um, there's not a lot of resources. So trying to be really creative, especially with your people resources and how you set them up for success led to immediate change. I mean, I would say that, um, there was probably, uh, at least 25% of the team that within the first, uh, 60 days, we were able to slightly adjust their scope of responsibility, as well as, um, you know, who they were reporting to and what the process was within the group. How do you, as a leader, make yourself um, open enough to allow employees who are who you're brand new to, that you're brand new to supervising, how do you make it so that they feel comfortable enough to come to you at the beginning and say, like, this is what I've been doing. This is what I want to be doing. This is not the best fit for me in this function. How can I move over here? Like, what, how are you, um, what are you giving off in order for them to be comfortable being able to come to you and say that? It's a great question. Um, I, I think if I had to pinpoint one thing, I would say I had um, the luxury of having an advocate. So it turned out that one of the women who had been there pretty much from the beginning of the startup, her name's Jen Perdomo. She's amazing. Um, She had worked with me when I was at Tommy Hilfiger and it was, I think her first job out of school. She was an assistant level. And um, I hadn't realized it at the time, but I had really impacted her career journey. And when she had heard that I was coming to Bandier, she sent an email to the entire company saying, you know, what an advocate I was for people and how I had made an impact in her career. And she really opened, I think, the door up for everybody to already have a a level of trust that she was one of the, um, you know, OGs with the company. Um, Her trust then became my trust. Um, Other than that, I, I think I listen a lot and I really try to make a difference. And if I say that I'm going to do something, I do it. 
and not just yes people. So I think that reputation builds over time and then it becomes a part of your brand. Yeah, that's great. So six months in, do you feel like you have kind of a, a comfortable, good sense of, of where things are? I know like for me, when I start a new job, it takes at least six months for me to be like, okay, I think I know what I'm doing here now. Yeah. Um, I, I'll be completely honest. You know, I feel about as confident about how comfortable I am as I did three months ago because the landscape of retail is really challenging right now. And we need to be constantly innovating and pivoting and changing. So I don't expect myself getting comfortable, Um, but I do feel confident. I feel really connected to our team and to our business strategies. And the founders are incredible and they're really involved in the business day to day. Um, And I think that's just been unique is trying to figure out how to bring the team along as we're scaling this business. They can't operate in the the way that they used to work. Um, So yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be comfortable anytime soon. And that's a good thing. Right. And you're not the only one that's saying that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about Bandier a little bit. At what point do you no longer see Bandier as a startup? How, what does that mindset shift look like? Has it happened for you yet? I still see Bandier as a startup, but I see that we are ramping up. We have um, some great expansion strategies coming into the back half of this year. So additional channels of distribution, um, looking at some global opportunities, um, and some really exciting collaborations that are coming up that unfortunately I can't speak about. Um, so I see that taking us a bit out of the startup world because you start to talk about, you know, the, the company being stable and on its feet and not as reliant on our, our amazing investors. Um, so at that point, when we are break even, our cash burn is, you know, stabilized and we're starting to get into the green that's when I don't consider it startup anymore. I don't know if that's technically the definition of startup, but that's my personal definition. We don't have to worry about the cash flow month to month, week to week. Um, it starts to be uh, in, in in the next league up. Yeah, gotcha. Well, and Bandier is really unique. I mean, it has this really strong brand identity and it seems like a really loyal customer base, at least from what I can tell. So how do you, as you're growing and scaling, how do you make sure that the brand is staying relevant? I mean, you mentioned the the chaos and the uncertainty that is uh, that is retail, um, especially in what we've seen in the last few years and who knows going forward. So how do you make sure that the brand stays relevant and continues to meet the needs of these consumers who, who their needs are ever changing? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really great and interesting question. And I think, um, you know, when you look back at the um, the founders and what they did when they first started, the brand was all about discovery and community and experience. Um, so Bandier was the first to have a studio. Bandier was the first to not only have their own product that they feel answers customers' needs and has the best legging in the world, um, but also... Um, discovers new brands and, you know, up and coming brands and helps to give them a platform. So, you know, it's very interesting when I move from a marketing machine like Calvin Klein, that is just, I mean, you cannot doubt the legacy of that marketing um, and the number of, you know, models that, you know, it's broken. When you look into broken, meaning in a good way, not 
broken. Um, and when you look at Bandier, the marketing is not just about our own brand. It's about really supporting, lifting up and giving visibility to the other brands. So it's a, it's a unique model that um, has been emulated, um, but we continue to innovate. And that's what keeps it fresh and makes sure that our community is feeling like we're really hearing them. Um, it starts with, you know, our Studio B um, is our studio in um, California. And our instructors, our instructors will tell us, like, what are, what are the holes? What's the white space in terms of their day-to-day um, so for example, right now we're leaning into hybrid dressing. So you may be able to wear something to Pilates in the morning, throw a blazer over it, be able to go to work, transition that into your evening. So we always say our customer, she works hard, she works out hard, and then she enjoys her friends and goes out hard as well. And, you know, so that's the spirit of what we're thinking about now and what our customer's thinking about and what she needs and what that challenge is in her wardrobe. And that's how we stay fresh. Um, that and just always going back to the brand pillars of experiential retail and making sure that we're bringing her not only the best new brands in terms of activewear, but also what are those adjacent categories, whether it be in wellness um, or jewelry that we know our customer is wearing as she gets dressed. So we're the approachable luxury within her wardrobe that she's loyal to, but what are those other things we can introduce her to? Mm -hmm. That's great. So along the same lines, what is most exciting to you about trends in the retail industry right now? What, what's, what's got you kind of up at night thinking about what, how you can innovate? So up at night, not the things that are worrying me, but the things that are exciting me. <laughs> I love exciting you. I love the flip on that question. That's amazing. <laughs> totally intentional. And by the way, I'm going to use that if you don't mind, because I think sometimes, you know, people focus too much on the challenges and not the opportunities. And, yeah. you know, of course, we like to say the challenges become the opportunities. So um, speaking of which, obviously, brick and mortar retail throughout COVID was really challenging. Um, and we're seeing, and you know, the e-commerce business. Luckily, we are, you know, have a very healthy e-commerce business, so um, we fared much better than others um, throughout um, the pandemic. But when you think about the consumer mindset now, wanting to actually stop buying online but go into a store, touch, feel, try on, that excites me because that's our sweet spot. Um, so, you know, the conversations we're having in HQ and the thing that comes to mind first thing in the morning is where do we have e-commerce customers that don't have the luxury of being able to engage with us in person and brick and mortar? Um, and what are those five next doors we're going to build? Right now we have five and we're looking to double that within the next couple of years, yeah. selectively. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. Okay, so I want to end with a little bit kind of a, a leadership uh, questions for you. Um, I'm guessing that Bandier is pretty heavily female dominated, uh, at least in terms of the, the workforce. Is that correct? That's very correct. Um, <laughs> Don't we, want to assume, but with a, with a brand like Bandier. <laughs> and not only, not only, by the way, are, you know, it's funny because, you know, coming from, you know, more traditional retail, that wasn't always the case, especially, right. especially in leadership roles. So we are a hundred percent female leadership. Um, and we are actively trying to diversify and recruit more men um, mm -hmm. <laughs> to the company. 
Um, and we actually, our head of marketing is, is a man. So I shouldn't say we're hundred percent female. He started two weeks ago. Welcome Jason. Um, and so yes, we are. And not only that, but the brands that we source from, I think the stat is something like 86% of them are female founded. Um, so yeah, a lot of powerful women. So what has it been like for you to find yourself now in, with leadership of, of almost all women having been in the industry for so long where, like you said, it was male dominated? Were there kind of any surprises when you you know, found yourself in a room full of women instead of a room full of men? Yeah, being vulnerable, it surprised me how much I enjoy the female leaders that I work with. Um, I grew up and, you know, I played soccer and I hung out with the guys and, you know, I was the safe prom date. Um, that's kind of always who I was. And, you know, working in some brands previously that leadership was more um, male dominated. Um, I, I'm embarrassed to say that I actually didn't have the best perception of some of the female leaders that felt that they really needed to overexert themselves and use their voices um, to break through and be heard. And I misunderstood what it was that I was experiencing and, um, you know, thought I actually had more of an affinity for male leaders than female leaders. And, um, you know, I'm humble enough to say that I was completely wrong. I was just uh, looking at the the situation differently. Um, and I've really enjoyed working. I mean, we have an inspiring group of women from, you know, from interns all the way up. Yeah. How have you seen the women in, in Bandier and maybe in the whole industry of retail really lifting each other up? Yeah, I think, honestly, the hardest thing, but the most powerful thing is true feedback, mm. not being afraid to to give somebody guidance. It was so difficult for me to do at first to not do the like compliment sandwich where you're like giving the positive and then the constructive and then the positive and it was so softened that it just didn't work and really then trying to understand as you're working with somebody are they somebody who's more sensitive where you do need to find the right moment and the right wording or are they somebody where you can hit them over the head with it and they'll appreciate it so I've found that by giving out feedback but in a really kind way that you know feedback is a gift um, that they're willing to give that back and you kind of support each other and push each other up. Um, and I think it's really underestimated how powerful that can be. And then of course, advocating for each other, not just giving advice and mentorship, but, you know, truly reaching out and opening up doors and introducing people and helping them to, you know, great women in retail tie back, but like expand their networks. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of time women are so focused on working and achieving that they're not thinking about themselves as something to really market and um, get out there and it can be very career limiting. I can, I can say for sure there was a period in my career where I only knew people who worked in my company and in my day-to-day interactions and didn't understand the value of breaking outside of that. Yeah. And I think women, I mean, I don't want to kind of oversimplify it, but women tend to be people pleasers too. And exactly. so it's hard for them to criticize their boss. Uh, and so if you're, if you're giving that kind of feedback to them, that can open the door for them to do the same to you, no matter how difficult it might be to give feedback to your boss. And I completely understand about the sensitivity of it all too. So I appreciate, yeah. I appreciate your honesty in that. 
you know, I always find that as I'm giving feedback and saying, I'm only telling you this because I see all this potential in you. And I know that you're going to be able to do this and this, if you take this into consideration. And then I'll say, and what feedback can you give me? What do you see? Is there something different I could be doing for you, for the greater team? And almost always it's silence and they're stumped. But the next time we come back together and I give feedback and ask for feedback, they usually give feedback. So it is a really interesting cycle for sure. And I bet because it's because they're not, they're not used to that. They're not used to their boss asking them, what can I do to improve? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question to ask. Okay. Last question for you. Um, And you kind of already touched on this a little bit, but any other advice that you would have for women who might be listening, who eventually want to follow a career path like yours and get into a leadership role like yours? Yeah. Um, Just be curious and have confidence and know that you you are worth somebody's time. So I think that's the biggest thing I get is people don't have a problem coming to me if they have a business challenge and they'll lean on me and they feel comfortable. But when it comes to their own development or reaching outside of their comfort zone, they don't think my time is worth it. And that's absolutely not true. So know that always the first email I'm going to answer when somebody reaches out to me, and by the way, email is a scary place for me. So I actually recommend text or uh, Slack. (laughs) Um, But if somebody comes to me and says, hey, I need your advice, or I'm thinking about something for my career, that's the number one thing I'm going to make time for. Um, And not necessarily the really tactical business question. So don't be afraid, be confident, be curious, explore. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing that they can say is no. And then I've you... never, I've never heard of that. Actually, I've right. never heard of somebody saying no. Right. Um, you it's know, always like, is, no, but I can connect you with X, Y, Z, or, yes. you know, there's always a, I mean, us women, we're going to try everything we can to, to make sure that we're uplifting other women and making them succeed. So that's exactly right. And you're doing that for me today. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, and I cannot wait to see what is next for you and for Bandir. Wonderful. Thank you again. Thanks for listening. For more information on this podcast, please go to womeninretail.com slash podcasts for show notes. Women in Retail Talks is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Make sure to subscribe on our podcast channel page as well. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few moments to rate and review our show. Lastly, if you're a female retail leader interested in joining our community at Women in Retail Leadership Circle, visit womeninretail.com slash apply. Thanks, and until next time, this has been Women in Retail Talks.